Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. Karen here on the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, and let me just say, you are in for a treat. My good friend, Ken Mosesian, will take us from his extraordinary experience treating victims of the Knife and Gun Club to coaching organizations and teams on what it will take to create a seamless way of cross-organizational cooperation that creates the best kind of place to work. We talk about primal instincts, how to get your ideas heard and recognized by recognizing our mutual humanity, creating trust and a sense of collaboration, and the power of being in the problem because that is where all the opportunity exists. You'll want to have your note-taking system open for this one as Ken gives you nugget after nugget of showing up, stepping up, and creating a work environment that is the one where the best talent will want to work. Hey, Ken, it's so great to have you here on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and your audience. I can't wait to continue the conversation that you and I had already started. So would you just take a minute and tell everyone about yourself and what it is that led to this conversation that we're having today? Sure, I'd be happy to. I'll... uh take you back a bit in time, standing in a room and behind me, I heard this great commotion and then a thud and I knew exactly what it was. And I turned around and indeed I was correct. There was a body laying on the gurney, blood running out from four or five different places on his chest. And I heard the door slam in the background. Because the building I was standing in was an emergency department, and I was working as an emergency medical technician at the time. And it was Friday night, and that was the beginning of the knife and gun club, as we used to call it. Every Friday and Saturday night, there'd be a certain point at which gang members would bring in one of their wounded warriors, throw him on the gurney, and get out before security could get them. And that's what had just begun. And I went into action along with a physician and a nurse, and we worked seamlessly as a team. We had one single common objective. There was one goal, and that was to save this kid's life. We brought in all the ancillary departments that were needed, cardiovascular support, 
the laboratory, the x-ray, made arrangements for surgery, and we saved him. And there is truly no feeling in the world like knowing that you contributed to saving someone's life. And after that experience of working in the ER for those three years that I was there, I had just gained such a deep appreciation for what true teamwork could mean. We were literally dealing with life and death situations. And because we were able to function so well as a team, we were able to save the vast majority of people that came through our doors. As I started thinking about what I was doing professionally and how I could apply these lessons after I left that work, I started thinking about the qualities that we all had, the things that were so important. Integrity, honesty, transparency at all times. We all knew what the other person was doing. We knew our jobs extraordinarily well, but we also knew something about the other person's jobs. We knew something about the other person's departments. When I mentioned the ancillary departments that we brought in, so those typical silos that can exist in a company where people are operating almost in their own fiefdom, it just didn't exist for us because we all realized we were committed to a common goal and that was health and wellness. And so that's the work that I take into what I do now. That's the experience that I bring into what I do now, which is training teams to lead so that their CEOs can be freed to create. That's such an important skill set, I would say, or mission. Let's call it a mission because that's what it really sounds like, especially right now. Let's talk a little bit about what happens in the workplace today and what are those barriers. We have a a great need for that kind of communication with 57% of the tech community self-describing themselves as burned out, right? Yeah. And a lot of that comes from inefficiency ineffectiveness. Right. So your point is really well taken in that this does apply globally. This applies certainly to the tech community, to the cybersecurity community, to the medical community. I work with clients as diverse as construction companies and medical offices, graphic arts, law firms, professional services companies. All of them are facing somewhat the same challenges in these broader concerns. And in terms of how we emerge, how we work together, it could not be more important than right now. And so some of the challenges that we face come from who we are as human beings. And if you'll indulge me for just one moment, I want to take a trip back in time because this really sets the stage for why human beings act the way they act and why we respond the way we respond and oftentimes to our detriment. So if we take a trip back 30, 35,000 years in time, when human beings first started forming tribes of about 40 people, we find a very sparsely populated earth, and we find that the tribe is the most important unit possible. That's your survival. And there were certain qualities that were revered for tribe members, people who were strong, people who could build things and be warriors. Second one is intelligence, people who could figure out what to do with the winter coming and no access to crops. What would we do to store food to make it through to the spring? People with reproductive capability round out that big three. Strength, intelligence, ability to reproduce so that the tribe could be perpetuated. 
if you weren't contributing in some way to the tribe, you were dead weight and you would have been rejected. And rejection, just simply stated, is death. Acceptance in the tribe is life. Rejection is death. It's not like you could go down the street to the neighboring tribe and apply there for membership because there wasn't one. That was it. That's encoded in our DNA. That notion of rejection being tied into fear and to whether or not we'll survive is with us to this day. And oftentimes, if we fast forward now to 2020, oftentimes this plays out in corporate settings. Someone's afraid to share something because the fear that they have is if they tell the truth, then they might get fired. And if they get fired, they might not be able to make their mortgage. And if they can't make their mortgage, they might lose their house. They won't be able to support their family. And you can take this all the way to its bitter conclusion, which is what we as human beings do. We play out worst case scenarios because that's the thing that simply draws our attention more. It triggers us more. It's not a bad thing. But the challenge is detecting true threats from false ones. A friend of mine had the experience. He was doing very well at a company, turned in a report. That was really the first one that he was going to be responsible for solely. And he got a call from his boss and said, please meet me in my office at four o'clock today. In his mind, four o'clock equated with end of day, with being fired, with having a security guard there with his box of stuff and uh, being escorted from the building. That's immediately where he went. And he walked into his boss's office and the boss said, I just wanted to congratulate you on what a great job you did on this report. The guy just let out a big sigh of relief. And what ended up happening was that they sat down and had a conversation with each other. And the point out of all of this is that true communication cannot happen if we are in a state of fear and if we're in a state of awaiting some sort of terrible fate. Communication can only happen when we are in a space of trust. And that's why it's so important right now, as we emerge from this time, to make sure that trust is established, that integrity is valued. Leaders have an obligation to be able to create a vision for their people, to be able to share that vision effectively and to let them know how what they do contributes to the fulfillment of that vision. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, to give them a safe space within which to work out their specific tasks that are going to help advance the vision of the company. So that's a threat that we're facing right now. I would say the second one that we're facing just as a corporate community is that we do tend to retreat to our silos whenever things get heavy, whenever there's a crunch. We tend to go within, to hunker down, to go into a defensive posture. And yet what we need to do is exactly the opposite. We need to open up. We need to break down the silos. We need to work cross-departmentally. We need to speak honestly about what we did. And from a leadership perspective, we need to be able to give people the space in which to do that. There is so much in what you just said. I want to unpack that just a bit because I think at the fundamental level, you hit on something that affects so many people in the tech industry in general, because the psychological safety, and I think you didn't exactly use that phrase, but I think if I could sort of Mm -hmm. sum it up, that if we don't create a certain amount of psychological safety, that people can speak their truth and show up as themselves and 
without the fear of rejection. And as you take it to the, our survival level, it's death, you know, yeah. that our biggest fear, I've heard it said that our biggest fear is a, that I am not enough and B that I won't be loved, which at our primal level is also about survival. Absolutely. So we have this, this is how we're wired as human beings. And I guess if we want to just zoom out a little bit, go up to the 30,000 foot view of what's going on right now all around us, people are in that fear and survival mode everywhere. It does seem like to me that there's, this is generated, we're already at a base level of a highly amplified level of fear. Right. And we've got people on the, like, I'm not making comment on it one way or the other, but we've got people on the need to shelter in place and save lives. And we've got people on the pandemic and got to save lives. And everybody's convinced that their survival strategy is the one that we need. And boy, so that, that is like the super amplified version of this. But I think what we're talking about here is that level of people kind of going into their foxholes right. is what we see in the workplace. And it's getting in the way of people being able to make a meaningful impact, which is what they signed up for in the first place, right? When they took a job. Exactly. Because we know that it's that job satisfaction and actually being acknowledged for doing that kind of work that mm -hmm. makes the biggest difference for people. And to your point, if people aren't comfortable telling the truth, if they feel they have to pad the truth or edit the truth in some way, then it's possible for companies to build entire strategies that are built on lies. And that's something that often doesn't get considered in the desire to not hear bad news or in the desire to gloss over it or in the, the fear of not wanting to deliver it. All of that information, if it does not have integrity, could lead to an entire strategy for a company being built on falsehoods. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can think of a multiple, multiple examples <laughs> yeah. of that, not to name names, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite things is to go out and Google technology fails yeah. because that is an example of where innovation fails happened as a result of not gathering the information they needed and really hearing the information that they needed in order to make a good decision about their innovation. So right. this is this is endemic. So there's kind of two things. One of them is what management needs to do in order to create psychological safety. Yes. Let's talk to the team members who are in a position of having information that they need for their management to hear. Sure. And how can they approach that if they feel like they have some ambivalence or uncertainty about this psychological safety? So I would say, particularly in the tech industry, the time is really good for this. There was a, a survey that McKinsey did not very long ago, a year or two years maybe, that took a look at corporate directors in the US, North America as a whole, Western Europe, and I believe Australia. and what they found out was about 50% of these corporate directors felt that the attention given to technology was insufficient. And well beyond half of these directors felt they should be having more conversations about technology and how it affects their industries. And then about a third of them identified cybersecurity in particular 
as a top issue for their business. And in the midst of all of this, there was a recognition that they weren't confident that they were taking the right steps or moving in the right direction because they didn't have the information that they needed. So what I would say to the folks that are responsible for implementation and for communication, to use traditional terms with their upline, there is an opportunity here that's really pretty extraordinary. Not only are the you know, the threats increasing if we're talking cybersecurity in specific, I would say that as you apply that out to virtually any industry, threats are increasing from a whole host of issues that we couldn't even anticipated a couple of months ago. But there is within the corporate structure a true desire to know more about technology, about cybersecurity, and to really bridge that knowledge gap and that communication gap. So I'd say first and foremost, be aware that you have an opportunity in order to bring information to people. The second thing is I would encourage people to think about what they want from those kinds of conversations. Whether you only have limited access and you don't get to present reports very often, or whether you have broader access, I would urge people to think beyond the task list. Think beyond, here's just what I did. Here's the thing I have to report back on. I kept the company safe, again, using these specific examples. And think beyond that to a desired end result in a more strategic way. So actually put yourself, if you will, in the shoes of those who are managing you. How would you think bigger? How would you think out over a 12-month period of time? What would be the desired end result that you would like to see at that point in time in terms of information that you impart, in terms of the kinds of questions that are being asked, in terms of how departments are interacting one with another? So know that there's an opportunity and opening. Number two, think about the desired end result. Number three, work backwards from there. Create what you're probably already really skilled at doing, which is a project plan. Think of the milestones you would like to hit each month as you move towards that 12-month goal, just by way of example. And then think of the people responsible for executing that and what deliverables are going to be produced. I think if we start shaping things in this way, then we take something that can feel very ephemeral and not tangible at all, and we can start to make it real because we create a frame in which it can exist. Human beings aren't particularly adept at this sort of amorphous thinking. But if we frame something up and give people parameters within which to think, we'll have far greater success in getting them to stay within that frame. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, this is, I hope people are taking notes. (laughs) This is golden. Listen, as you're talking, I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm seeing this in real time, Mm -hmm. like how this would unfold because, and I I just want to add one little thing to what you said, because if you had the opportunity to address the C-suite, recognizing that we have more problems now and opportunity, let's put it that way, than we've ever had before, then recognize that the person that you're addressing also has to deal with this whole fear and survival issue, right? Absolutely. They may be putting on a good front and they may be showing up in a way that looks like they're really in charge, but you know that they have got to be just like every other human being on the planet right now, wondering, how is this going to play out? How is this going to work? 
What do I need to be concerned of? What is my highest priority? And recognizing that that person has problems and questions that you, listener, have the ability to address. Exactly. And that's where I think it's such a great point, Karen, because it's in the recognition of that, that you end up identifying their pain. And if you can identify their pain, their point of suffering, if you will, and you can present yourself and your team as being able to solve for that pain, then you, in essence, move them out of the danger zone into the safe zone to go back to our original conversation. And if you can get somebody into that place where they feel safe, then they're open to having a conversation. If their mind is continually churning around the danger, they'll never be present to what you're saying. And they could acknowledge it, shake their head, yes, thank you. And there's only a percentage of it that actually landed. And so to recognize that will give you some access to power. Get them out of the danger zone, into the safe zone, present yourself as the solution, speak into, if you will, their listening, and then you have access to power. You have access to communication. Yeah. And you know, even if it's not possible to say, get a face-to-face meeting, what if, for example, someone recognized that they had a lot of good information that would bring people, you know, help dial down the, the anxiety and fear level a little bit. Let's just say around cybersecurity. Let's just say that they they have some solutions and they have some ideas in, that they can use to address the problem. What about creating just a, a weekly communication that says it goes out to a community of people in positions of influence in the organization? And you're saying, I thought you'd like to know, right? This yeah. is what is happening. This is what's being done to improve things. These are the areas that we would identify as the ones of highest concern. And, you know, what I'm saying is like, knowledge is not a bad thing, even if it's bad news. (laughs) Absolutely so. so. Absolutely so. And I always talk about the fact that value comes from sharing knowledge and action. And so what I mean by that is, if you've successfully prevented X number of attacks, and all you say is everything's running smoothly, I don't attach much value to that. You're doing your job. It feels like there's no threat. I don't get that you worked more than eight hours a day. But if on a weekly basis, you're delivering a communique, you're talking about new things being discovered, you're talking about the threats and the fact that you've been able to counter them week after week after week, and the amount of time that you and your team invested, you know, maybe coming in and spend an extra time on a weekend, I'm going to assign more value to what you're doing now because I have a greater appreciation of exactly what you have contributed to the company. Yeah. You know, this is huge. I think for the people who are listening right now, I hope you're writing this down because the fact is that if you can approach your conversation with leadership the way Ken is describing it in a way that recognizes that we're all in it together on multiple levels, and that you should never underestimate your ability to speak into another person's pain and help reduce it. And there's another piece to this that I think is essential. So yes to everything you just said, and there is 
some thinking of why, you know, working together, that's great and tearing down silos, terrific. But for some, they still see it as, quote, icing on the cake. There are peer-reviewed studies that show the value of relatedness in a corporation. The more related, the more engaged employees are to each other, particularly cross-departmentally, the more productive they are, the more creative they are, and the more profitable the company is. And one of the reasons is that the only thing that goes down is employee churn. People want to be at a company where they're related one to another and to the mission, to the vision of that company. So this is a bottom line proposal as much as it is a good for human beings proposal. And I would urge people to keep that in mind, that working together doesn't just make for a great work environment. Working together makes for a more profitable, more creative, and more productive company. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Let's take this to the next phase. Yeah. Let's say that the communication has been initiated Mm -hmm. and it's being received. Mm -hmm. What now? So most important thing is to confirm coming out of that communication, whatever it happens to be. If you got a thumbs up to do something, memorialize it. Write back something, email back something with a word of appreciation, noting that this is what you're going to do next. Let's take the wonderful example of you had put together a a plan that had a strategic feel to it that extended over X percent of time, let's just say a year. You would want to put it into play. You'd actually want to be your word and do what you said. And then you'd want to report on it on a regular basis. So you take the first step, you talk about how that first step went, any course corrections you needed to make, what you did in order to course correct, and the next step you're taking after that. And it's that kind of communication that lets people know two things. Number one, you can be trusted. And trust, the most important quality for keeping people, for getting people and keeping people in that safe zone that I talked about. And if they're in that safe zone, just to drive this point home, that's where you can have true communication. So build trust by doing what you said you do, by being your word. And as you're moving forward, there's an opportunity to make requests, to enroll people from other departments, being sensitive to workload and all those kinds of things. Do it. Let people know you need their expertise. Let them know that you'd like to interview them for 15 or 20 minutes about what issue they might be facing unique to their department. Tell them that you're looking for ways that you can help and then contribute back to them. You'll have more buy-in now in this plan and it will start to pick up a life of its own. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. You know, it strikes me that what you're describing is a person who's taking ownership of their contribution in a company as if they're an entrepreneur, as if they're an owner, as if they are definitely a contributor and they're not, you know, they're not staying within the box necessarily of what somebody else may or may not have defined for them, but they are taking the initiative and recognizing that a moment of problem is actually a moment of great opportunity. That's absolutely correct. And I always said that within every problem lies the solution if we're willing to dig in. And oftentimes we want to sweep under the carpet, ignore, avoid, go around. And the problem really 
is the place to be because it contains the solution. If you can get to a point of 100% responsibility, not that you have to do everything in the company, but simply that you have that entrepreneurial, that ownership perspective, and you have an entire team of people doing that, literally, there is nowhere that that company cannot go. That's the place you want people to live. Yeah. And it's such a great way to work. I'm just saying, I've had that experience, right? Where everybody was working extremely hard, but what they produced because of the way they were working together exceeded everybody's wildest imagination of what could be done. And then you have that incredible feeling of, wow, this really works, you know, That is the biggest antidote to burnout I can think of. (laughs) Because you get the sense that you truly are in it together and that you're not there alone, that people have your back instead of watching your back, you know, that you're supported. That's the way we want to live and work. Absolutely. What you do matters. Don't ever, I'm just going to add this little zinger here on the end before we wrap up. This has been a phenomenal session. I'm sure people are going to listen to it multiple times. (laughs) What I want to suggest to everyone listening is you actually have a contribution to make that matters a great deal. Never, ever underestimate the power of what you see and your perspective, because When you take what you see and what you understand about a situation into a dialogue with another person who may be in a position of authority or power in your role, but you approach that from the standpoint of this is another person and we need to have this conversation as opposed to this is my boss and I'm going to come at this from a position of fear, you will make gigantic strides, not only for yourself, but for the organization. And I'm just hoping every single person out there will take that to heart. 100%. Yeah. Your message matters, as we're (laughs) fond of saying, right, Ken? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It does. It really does. So I want to bring this to a close. I'd love to have you back so that we can continue this conversation because there was so much good stuff in there. How can people reach you, find out more about what you're doing? Sure. Sure. So my website's at mosesian.com. That's like Moses with an I-A-N. Think of the prophet, then add an I-A-N, mosesian.com. On the homepage, there's an offer, the audio version of my book called The Power of Promise, How to Win and Keep Customers by Telling the Truth About Your Brand. And along with that, uh, there's five brief videos that sum up the five key steps in delivering the promise of your brand that you'll unlock just by downloading that free offer. At the bottom of the page, contact. I work with companies across industry on issues specific to leadership and training up emerging leaders and attendant to that brand, customer experience, and company culture. It'd be my pleasure just to have a conversation with you come equipped with one problem that your company is facing and I'll work with you to solve it on the phone. If you find value in it, we can talk about continuing the relationship. Wonderful. Ken, thank you so much. This has been a really enlightening conversation and I'm sure that it's so timely and well-placed for people who are dealing with Mm, opportunity on every level, right? In life right now. Exactly. So 
Thank you again. And we'll be talking to you again soon. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me. 